All right. Are you ready? I am. Perfect. Make sure the cat's not about to do anything majorly dickish. He's just staring at the dog, which is, like, concerning to me. <laughs> what, are, what are you going to do, and why do I feel like it's mean? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Same Page. If you don't already know me, I'm your host, Jenna Clausen, lover of books, sympathizer of book-to-movie adaptations, and owner of an embarrassingly long TBR list. Each month, I'll be bringing on a bookish friend or two to discuss some of our current and favorite books, as well as a few recent binge-watches, and to share in a buddy read. Grab a drink, join the discussion, and let's find out if we're on the same page. Trigger warnings for the book that we'll be discussing in today's episode, as well as our discussion itself, include alcoholism and other drug addiction, underage drinking, drug dealing, infidelity, detailed descriptions of drug usage and injections, overdoses and withdrawals, and discussion of rape, as well as potentially more that I've missed. Please be safe and smart if these topics may be triggering for you, and please take care of yourself and practice self-care in order to intake this media in a healthy way. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction, please take a look at the resources down in the show notes. My guest today is my friend Addie, also known on Bookstagram as Book Crazy Blogger. She's been running her blog for the last two years, where she reviews all sorts of genres, including mysteries, thrillers, contemporary fiction, and young adult. She also has two adorable dogs who feature heavily in her photos and reviews, after they've been bribed with treats. You can find all of her social media information, as well as where to follow her, down in the show notes. And with that, let's jump on into the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. My phone is falling off of my lap. (laughs) I am excited to have you back. Um, Before we get too far into talking about the book, and I'll kind of go over the uh, publication info again really quickly like I did last week. Do you want to start us off with what you're drinking? Do you have more water? I do, actually. I mean, it's like this much water because I totally forgot to fill up my water. I was like so focused on my bananas that I was like, oh, banana. And then I was like, oh, I don't need to hydrate myself. But (laughs) I was wrong. Hydration is so overrated. It really is. Like, just honestly, like, human functions in general are, like, overrated. Like, <laughs> I, 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 like, honestly, like, I wish I could just plug myself into, like, a battery pack and then I don't actually have to, like, sleep or anything like that. Like, I can still keep doing stuff. And then, like, I wish I, like, didn't have to eat or anything. And I definitely wish I didn't have to, like, expel waste. Like, that's just, like, how, much, how so many much hours, how many hours of my life am I wasting by, like, like, doing basic human functions. Like, come on, evolution. Get it together. I mean, I, I get it. I have never specifically had that thought before, but now that it's in the world, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm with that. <laughs> I went super extra with my drink today, apparently. So I not only – I have an empty uh, coffee cup and a small pot of green tea <laughs> – Oh my god, that's so adorable. It is very cute. So a little, like, I should have done this before we started, and I forgot to do that. So a little, like, 
ASMR moment, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's very hot in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have a tropical green tea. Mm, uh, fancy. I know. It's, again, probably later than I should be drinking caffeine, but I'm just so tired, and I still have so much I need to do today. So... The world never <laughs> sleep. What's that Robert Frost poem where it's like, the world never stops or something like that? Yes. I don't remember it exactly, but um, are you looking it up? <laughs> I absolutely am. <laughs> I saw that look in your eyes. I see it in my husband a lot, and I'm like, oh, yep. Yeah. That's the I'm going to look it up right now face. Yeah. I have a really bad memory for poetry, which is interesting because I love it so much. And Robert Frost specifically, my parents, uh, there was this one shelf in their bookshelves when I was a kid that I just loved so much. It was all of these like old, um, like hardcover copies of books. And one of them was a collection of Robert Frost, and I used to just carry it around and read it all the time. And so you would think I would remember this, this poem that you're talking about. But I have my, I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Eh, God, same. <laughs> yeah. Another and really I like I'm. I'm not a fan of poetry at all, but, like, this, like, Robert Frost is, like, the only poet that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can get behind you. It's just so But classic. it's only, like, it's really only the two poems, which is Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening and The Road Not Taken. The classic one. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Ah. Oh, no. Sorry. You ran away for a second. Um... So really quickly, we are doing our book discussion this week. So we said it in the last episode, but for anyone watching, this is the cover. If you want to hold it up, we can do a cute little like thumbnail moment. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we're so cute. Uh, <laughs> I told my husband, I was like, I need you to teach me. Again, I'm so bad with technology. We were just talking about this before we started. But I was like, yes, hello, husband. I am a grown adult and I need you to teach me how to pick what I want the thumbnail to look like. I have no idea so, how to do that. So far, it's just been YouTube being like, hey, here's your three options that we found in your video and me being like, great. <laughs> I'll use this. <laughs> right. And sometimes I'll complain that they don't have any good options and Nick's like, God bless America just figure out how to do normal technology things it's like i can't i can't figure it out yeah, don't judge me please help don't don't judge me <laughs> but anyway this again is the cover super intense with a glare uh red and black face the book is tweak growing up on methamphetamines by nick chef publisher is athenium books copyright year 2008 and then at least this paperback version that I have is 322 pages. And I did realize last week, I didn't read the uh, inside cover, like the description. And I usually do, so that was weird. I think my brain just skipped right past it last week. So I'm going to do that really quickly. So it says, Nick Chef was drunk for the first time at age 11. 
In the years that followed, he would smoke pot regularly, do cocaine and ecstasy, and develop addictions to crystal meth and heroin. Even so, he had always felt like he could quit and put his life together whenever he needed to. It took a violent relapse one summer to convince him otherwise. In a voice that is raw and honest, Nick spares no detail in telling the compelling, heartbreaking, and true story of his relapse and his journey toward recovery. Yeah, so definitely heartbreaking, definitely spares no detail. Um, I do feel like I need to say just like right off the bat, I was not able to finish this book. And I know, I know, I feel so guilty but here is kind of the reasoning that I'm giving myself. So I don't, on Instagram, it's uh, DNF, didn't finish. And I mm -hmm. don't DNF books ever. Like, basically ever. I will, there's a book that I picked up last November. Like, not 2020 November, like 2019 November. And wasn't enjoying and put down, but I still have it marked as reading to remind myself that I need to go back to it. Like, it's, I feel very guilty, and I think that might just be a part of my anxiety or something, when I pick up a book and I don't finish it. But I, I was working my way through this book, <laughs> and I always talk about, um, in trigger warnings and, you know, whatever, if something is not necessarily doing well for your health, you need to put it down. And it was basically, I was not following my own advice. And then my husband took the book and hid it for a bit <laughs> and was like, this is not doing good things for you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's real. It's a really intense book. Yeah. I'm going to so, be honest. So I, I did have to put this one down. Um, but I watched the movie this afternoon so that I would at least like kind of have a better scope of the full story um and yeah I don't know I'm not positive like what part of me was having so much of an issue with this book we were talking beforehand and I was saying that my mental health over the past like year and a half, maybe two years has just kind of been on a steady decline. Like it's just through no fault of my own or anyone else's, like no specific situation. It's just, I'm not mentally and emotionally in a great place right now. And yeah. so I think it might be a mix of that and a mix of, I have trouble controlling my empathy sometimes and so I think the fact that I was reading it and it's not situations that I can relate to, I mm -hmm. was more going into the empathy of it. So I'm going to keep the book and potentially revisit it when I'm in kind of a better place myself. Um, yeah. But I did have an easier time with the movie. Uh, you had mentioned last week, I don't remember if it made it into the episode or not, but that the movie is more based off of David's book and David's perspective, so the dad, mm -hmm. um, rather than Nick's. And I think that might be part of why I had a bit of an easier time with that one. Yeah, that makes total sense. I so. think that, you know, for me personally, I think that the reason I relate to this book so much is because it is filtered through the lens of an addict, um, and that's just what I relate to. 
Um, whereas when I was reading David's book, one, it's very much nonfiction. It's a nonfiction slash memoir. So there's a lot of information about like the physiology of the brain and like how the brain reacts to crystal meth and everything like that. Interesting. And it's very like science based and I'm not a huge fan of nonfiction. I'm not a huge fan of like science Science-y books. Sure. Um, so, like, I point, really... it kind of feels like a textbook. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, like, I related a lot more to his struggle coming at it as, like, a father. Uh, well, not necessarily coming at it as a father, but coming at it and the, from the perspective of a loved one trying to help another loved one through their addiction. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tricky for me because... You know, not only am I an addict myself, but I have also um, been in a place where I have tried – I've been on the other side too where I've tried to get a loved one to rehab. I've tried to get a loved one to get clean and everything like that. And it's it's very, very difficult, especially when that other person does not want to get clean and you're basically shit out of luck. Right. Yeah, I I can – only imagine um how difficult that would be i mean from both sides obviously it's, it's a very different struggle for two people in the same like situation together yeah. um so yeah like i said i felt guilty because i know how much this book uh means to you and how excited you were and so i felt like i needed to get that just right off the bat um, honest I mean on, I don't blame you for not being able to finish it because it, it's a, I mean it's intense like it's yeah. really really intense um, and it's definitely like something that I needed as a as a kid really like so I I mean I first read this book when I was 13 maybe 12 or 13 so I was right at that age where no one in my life had started using drugs or drinking yet, but, you know, two years later we were in high school, so I was about 15, Mm -hmm. and that's when all of my friends started using, and it really was, like, I mean, this book helped me to be like, okay, I'm not going to continue drinking in high school, Um, I'm not going to be smoking weed all the time in high school. I'm not going to be eating Mm -hmm. mushrooms in high school. I'm not going to be experimenting with ecstasy or hallucinogens or anything like that. Like to this day, to this day, I haven't ever done any hallucinogens. Um, I haven't done crack. I haven't done Coke. I haven't done heroin. Um, that being said, I also, part of the reason for me getting clean is because I know it's a short jump from a very powerful synthetic marijuana option to painkillers to heroin. And that's why I got clean because I don't want to make that jump between painkillers to heroin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that just, I think more than anything, like I said, I think it might have been the fact that I couldn't necessarily turn off the part of my brain and the part of my heart that was feeling all of the empathy towards Nick as in this moment a character in a book. Um, yeah. Where those 
inner monologues of his and the struggles and seeing him making that shift, it's just, it's really difficult. Um, so yeah, it, like I said, I can tell how powerful this book can be. I think I might try and return to it when I'm in a bit of a better place, but. How far did you get? I got about a third of the way through. So, so not of to three twenty-two, like probably one oh eight or one ten, something like that. Okay. Okay, got it. Yeah, it does get more intense after that. Um, yeah. I will say, like you know, the latter half of the book when he has his relationship with Zelda um, is wow. It's it's very difficult to read yeah so i i did not get quite that far um yeah i don't blame you (laughs) i just my poor husband was like we were sitting on the couch and he was watching me read and he was watching me kind of like sink into myself and he was like i need you to put this book down for the night we're gonna we're gonna read your cute little rom-com that you're reading and we're gonna read that instead and it's gonna be great (laughs) Yes, it is. I mean, it is. I mean, this book is graphic. Like it does not hold back prisoners. Like it is physically graphic in Mm -hmm. his in his depictions of what his body looks like and what his body was like physically going through. It's emotionally graphic in terms of like just how emotionally charged all these different situations got. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, the the relationships are, you know, there's, there's a certain point where he is being physically abused by a girlfriend, um, and he does not hold back in, you know, any of that, you know, there's depictions of him having a psychotic break, and, like, that's scary, um, too bad I didn't take that part more to heart, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) let me just tell you like I just so you know I I don't know if you've ever been on TikTok or anything but like I follow a lot of there's like a really big like recovery TikTok community and so like myself and like I know a lot of other like bigger accounts that have been in it longer than I have um we tend to make light of recover not we don't tend to make light of recovery we tend to make light of the situations that we've been through and we tend to make light of, you know, talking about like things like drug psychosis and talking about the shadow people and everything like that. But when you stop to think about it, it's really not that funny. Yeah. It's actually really terrifying. But the only way that I can deal with that trauma is to just kind of like joke about it and be like, ha, 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 sure. I mean, it's a person <laughs> in a horror movie that's cracking jokes the whole time because humor is their defense mechanism. It's the emotional equivalent of... This is going to make it sound so bad, and like I'm saying, it's like a bad thing towards you, and I don't mean that at all, but it's kind of the emotional equivalent of trying to like run away from the situation for a bit and maybe come back later. Because it's just like that... There would be some things that would be so hard to deal with. And, you know, people's brains and hearts can only deal with so much 
stress and trauma at a time. And sometimes you kind of got to find a way to work around that until you're ready to dive deeper. Definitely. I mean, I've been there. (laughs) Oh boy, have I been there. So normally in book discussions, um, I will ask favorite character scene and quote. I don't really want to include character in this because, because it is a work of nonfiction. These are real people, and I don't necessarily want to be discussing them like they're not, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, and I, because I didn't get very far, I didn't write down a favorite scene or anything necessarily that stuck out to me in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I did write down a couple of quotes from, I, I want to say they're both really early on, actually, like the first four chapters or something that really jumped out at me. Um, do you have like a favorite scene or something that when you read it speaks to you a lot or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see. So, um, sorry, I No, you're good. Normally I warn people that I'm going to ask these questions and I I did not warn you ahead of time. So (laughs) everyone Um, else forgive the uh, shuffling of pages here. So let's see. Um, Okay, so there's there's a couple of quotes. Um, There were then there were the treatment centers I've spent the last three years in and out of 12-step programs. Throughout all of it, the underlying craving never really left me, and that was accompanied by the illusion that the next time things would be different. I'd be able to handle it better. I didn't want to keep hurting people. I didn't want to keep hurting myself. A girlfriend of mine once said to me, I don't understand. Why don't you just stop? This is something that my parents have said to me. This is something that other family members have said to me. And this is something that other friends and significant others have also said to me. I couldn't think of an answer. The fact was, I couldn't just stop. That sounds like a cop-out, but it's the truth. It's like I'm being held captive by some insatiable monster that will not let me go, that will not let me stop. All my values, all my beliefs, everything I care about, they all go away the moment I get high. There is a sort of insanity that takes over. I convince myself and believe very strongly that this time, this time, it will be different. I tell myself that after such a long time clean, I can go back to casual use. Of course, you never can. Yeah. Because that's not how life works. I remember um, really kind of stopping to think about that quote as well. And again, these are not situations that I myself have found myself in, but I am a very emotional person. Uh, Just, I was born that way and I can't really turn those off. Again, the part of my brain and the part of my heart that feel empathy, I can't turn those off. And I just, every emotion that I feel, I feel much stronger than I think a normal person would necessarily. And I remember... One of my exes specifically, but a few other friends as well, would always be like, well, just stop. Like, you're taking things too personally. You need to – you're too emotional. Like, you're overly emotional right now, and I need you to stop. And they would, like, 
cut contact with me sometimes until mm-hmm. I calmed my emotions down. And so I, I can kind of relate to that small portion of that quote where it's like, no matter what it is, if it's a good thing, if it's a bad thing, like there are things about a person's personality and their habits that it's just, you can't stop overnight. And it's just, it's so damaging for people to just say, well, you, I mean, just stop doing it. And there you go problem is solved like that's not like yeah definitely I would love to like take that magic pill that turns me into not an addict that turns me into like not being mentally ill but like unfortunately it doesn't fucking exist so you're gonna have to deal with it or you're gonna have to like cut contact with me until you know you can handle yourself because granted like you know something I've learned about in recovery is that like one that I need to be honest about my recovery and like, you know, to the point of maybe being overly honest about it. I mean, it's not something that I like go around like in my personal life. I haven't like on my personal Facebook on my personal like Instagram or anything like that. I haven't like outright said like I'm an addict and I'm in recovery or anything like that. It's not a conversation. I mean, you don't show up with the hello, my name is Addie. (laughs) Like sticker. Yes. Yeah. And it's not like it's not something that I've had a conversation with about with like the majority of my family members or anything like that. Like obviously my parents know, but I haven't had that conversation with like my extended family. Sure. Um but that being said, like if someone were to ask me like, "Hey, do you want to get a drink or do you want to do that?" Like I'm not going to say like, "Oh, I don't drink" or "Oh, I'm not going to use an excuse" or anything like that. I'm going to flat out say like, "I'm in recovery. I don't drink because if I drink, I turn into a monster and you don't want to be by me." Sure. Because on and like I've had people who are uncomfortable or like super uncomfortable with it and like they don't know how to talk to me about it and they don't know how to like react to it. I've had other people who've had, like, really negative experiences with people who are addicts in their own life, and they're kind of, like, look at me with suspicion almost, and they're like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I'm just going to wait for you to relapse and stuff like that. Um, And, you know, they those people have a right to feel that way. Um, I'm not going to take that away from them, but at the same time, like... You also don't need those kind of reactions in your life. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know how, like, if you don't know how to control your own reactions towards my being in recovery like I don't know what to tell you like sorry and sometimes it can be hard as far as if someone says something to you maybe not knowing how to respond like um Mm -hmm. if you're talking to someone and they're uh, they just lost a family member or something sometimes you don't in that moment know how to respond um But I feel like it's all intentions and it's all like doing what you can to make someone feel heard. Yeah. Um, Another quote that I really like, um, which I said last week, but I don't know if it made it in because. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember I cut one of the quotes because of some tech issues. Yeah, that's okay. Um. I got thrown into my first treatment center when I was 18. I'd only been doing meth for about six months, but already my life had begun falling apart. My dad helped me get into rehab five days later. Dad, please, I begged him. I'll stop, I promise. Please, I don't need to do this. 
You can't come home, Nick. But dad, I don't belong here. I was wrong. I knew it the first group I went to. One of the residents, Johnny, talked about his descent into crack cocaine addiction. What struck me wasn't so much the specifics of his story, but rather the feelings he described. He talked about how until he started using, he always felt like some alien, different from everybody. I think what he said was, I felt like everyone else had gotten this instruction manual that explained life to them, but somehow I just missed it. They all seemed to know exactly what they were doing, while I didn't have a clue. That is, until I found drugs and alcohol. Then it was like my world went from black and white to technicolor. Of course, that had been my experience too, but it didn't mean I was willing to change my behavior. I loved drugs. I loved what they did for me. They relieved me of that terrible sense of isolation I'd always felt. They gave me the manual to life that Johnny had described. I could not, not give that up. I still had this feeling that it was never going to happen to me. I had a 4.0 in high school. I was a published writer. I came from a good family. Besides, I was too young to really be an addict. I was just experimenting, right? Yeah. And so the two quotes that I wrote down, um, part of the reason I wrote them down was I felt like they obviously related to this experience that he was going through, but I felt like could be related to other types of unhealthy experiences as well, which, so like these two meant more to me personally because I could relate to them to other things as well. And this first one, um, I think might be right around the same time as the one you just read. And it says, it was like being in a car with the gas pedal slammed down to the floor and nothing to do but hold on and pretend to have some semblance of control. But control was something I'd lost a long time ago. And I really liked that because I have had experiences with not physically, but fairly emotionally abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. And this was one that stuck out to me relating to that specifically, where it's like you kind of end up, everything's so great when it starts, you know? And I feel like based off of his story, that was his experience with these addictions as well as everything's so good and it feels so right. And then just suddenly you don't know how to get out of this situation that you're in. And slowly you kind of start realizing how bad it is and that that it's not good and it doesn't feel as good as it used to, but you kind of don't have control over the ride anymore. Mm -mm. And so that was one that I really liked. Yeah. I mean, I will say... With regards to my last relapse, um, because up until this last relapse, um, so April 2020, I thought that I could control it. And I thought that it didn't matter, that I could still control it. And, like, you know, there was always this thought in the back of my mind that I could always go back to it. Like, it didn't, like, you know, I just, I didn't believe that I was an addict. I didn't believe that I was an alcoholic. Like, you know, I... For me, like I wasn't, phys- I wasn't ever physically addicted to alcohol. Um, I was physically addicted to painkillers, and I was physically addicted to other drugs, um, but I was never physically addicted to alcohol. And also, for me personally, is I've never gone to detox, 
and I've never gone to rehab. Um, I kicked everything on my own cold turkey, which I do not recommend. But I would, you know, there were multiple times where I would get home and I would like be in a corner by myself, like ripping, like trying to like rip out my skin or like ripping out my hair and just like trying not to and like trying to like claw at my ears because I would hear music that wasn't playing and I would hear voices that weren't actually like people I know and like I knew it was all in my like I knew it was like something wasn't right but like I don't know like I would hear screaming women screaming and it was just it was not it's not a good time and it you know I have like major health concerns from it because I was smoking for so long um I had for like a solid six or seven months, maybe even eight or nine, I had, I was having symptoms of, I was having stroke-like symptoms. So like my left arm was going numb. Um, My like left hand gross motor functions were really bad. Um, I had really bad gross motor functions. Um, I was always stumbling. I was always bruising myself. Um, When I... I'm trying to obviously, you know, the mental health concerns of psychosis and everything like that. Um, I actually have drug-induced hypothyroidism, um, a very bad case of drug-induced irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I'm still working on regaining the muscles in my left side. Um, I'm still working on regaining muscles um, in my left hand specifically. So, yeah, it's... uh, it's a nasty business. You know, when I was 22, I think, I think I was 22, 23. Um, I met a guy and we became very close very quickly. Um, and I, I guess I would describe him as my own version of Zelda in a way. Um, because like Nick in the book, Nick wants to save Zelda. He wants to save her from her ex-husband and he wants to save her from her ex-lovers and he wants to save her from her own demons. Um, And just really quickly, I think that was part of the conversation that got cut out because the audio was a little fuzzy from last week. So do you want to just explain Zelda in the book really quickly? Yeah, so Zelda is Nick's kryptonite, I guess, is how I would describe her. Um, She is an older woman. Um, Actually, you know what? Pretty sure he can describe it better than I can. Um, Let me find that quote. It's pretty early in the book. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I know which one you're thinking of, and I got to that one. So check the first third. (laughs) Zelda was a woman I thought I was madly in love with. She was 14 years older than I was, and, well, she was also engaged to marry another guy, a wealthy real estate broker named Mike. When I started sleeping with her, I tried to justify it to myself. I figured it was her decision, and I wasn't really doing anything wrong, and it was just for fun. I thought I could get away with it. I thought I could stay detached emotionally. I couldn't. She came to represent for me everything I thought would make my life perfect. After all, she'd been married to this famous actor and was an actress and grew up in Los Angeles. She was raised by her famous uncle, who's also in the movie business. 
everyone seems to know her in LA. She's sort of a celebrity. Being with her became my obsession. Ultimately, she wouldn't leave her boyfriend for me and got pregnant with his child. I was crushed. I mean, I just couldn't handle it. So yesterday I relapsed, driving up the five, drinking from a bottle of Jaeger. Um, And that was kind of the situation I found myself in where I was at a very low point in my life. And um, I had lost everyone and everything that I cared about because of my addiction. I'd been kicked out of school. I'd been kicked out of my sorority. All of my friends wanted nothing to do with me. Um, things at work, you know, I was I was drinking at work um, and justifying it to myself because I said, you know, I just work a retail job. It's not like I'm out saving lives. It's not like I'm doing anything. I mean, granted, you shouldn't be drinking at work anyways. Um, but I met this guy and he became my everything. Like he was my band-aid in a way. Um, I really cared about him and I really loved him. But at the same time, I really did him wrong because I relied on him to be my emotional security blanket. And I wasn't willing to be honest with him. And I wasn't willing to be honest with myself. And I wasn't working on myself. I wasn't going to therapy or anything like that. I was just constantly focused on him and how I could be better for him. When he ultimately broke up with me, I was crushed. Very similar to Nick, but unfortunately, I had never gotten clean. Um, It just ultimately led me to spiraling even farther, um, in addition to literally not being able to get out of bed for two months. Switching back to the book here for just a couple minutes, um, the second and last quote that I wrote down is super short, um, but he basically just says, again, fix the outsides and maybe my insides won't be such a dark place. And again, with my mental health not being super great the past year or so, and um, my depression kind of being a little bit worse lately, uh, you always hear people going and, like, post-breakup getting a revenge haircut or, like, try and look their best so that uh, to feel better, you know, whatever. And that just... I liked that quote, but also I didn't because I was like, wow, rude. That's, that's my life. <laughs> just, you know, it's so much easier to fix the outsides than it is to fix the rest of you. So I know last week you ooh, just hit my mic. I like accidentally throw it across the room. <laughs> it's because I moved everything. Now I'm in a different place. And I'm going to talk with my hands and accidentally like throw everything. Um... Last week, you had mentioned that this book you try and reread once a year or so. Since your most recent recovery, is there anything new that you get from the book? Is there anything that you uh, see differently when you read the book versus maybe when you read it a few years ago or versus when you were younger? So I'd say when I first started reading it when I was younger... Um, I really got the impression, 
you know, don't do coke, don't do heroin, and don't do meth. Because that shit's going to lend you, that, that stuff's gonna make you end up like how Nick ends up in the book. And, yeah. you know, there's the first, so we, in the book itself, he talks about two different relapses. His first relapse um, which I will refer to as the Lauren relapse um, yeah. is the one that you read about. Um, and like that one gets pretty bad. Um, that one's pretty rough to read about. Yeah. Um, but I would say the second relapse is his Zelda relapse. And that one's even worse. Um, that's the one where he, you know, tries crack for the first time and he um, develops an abscess in his room that in his arm that becomes so bad that they have to remove it almost to the bone. And instead of that being enough for him to go to a detox, he just goes to the apartment that he shares with Zelda and they immediately start shooting up cocaine. Um, There's a scene where he shoots up cocaine a cocaine crystal meth combination and and i mean i would i guess it's like an overdose um but he ends up going into convulsions and like gives himself a concussion and like zelda herself is like freaking out and like you know, then there's another scene, like the scene that finally gets him to get sober is that he has a psychotic break in his mother's garage while he's trying to steal money and a laptop from her. And, you know, he just is in in the rafters for hours and like can't get out. Um, so that, you know, the, reading all of that at such a young age was enough for me to say no to drugs in high school and actually be very anti-drug in high school, um, anti-alcohol. You know, I definitely experimented a little bit in high school, but not nearly to the point where I did, where I ended up. Um, so I credit the book for that reading it. I think I read it in 2019. So I haven't read it since my 2020 relapse. Um, But reading it since then and kind of having, I haven't actually read it. um, I just kind of like flipped through it a little bit um, prior to this discussion. I think what really sticks out to me is his relationship with Zelda and how closely it does mirror my relationship with my exes Um, in the emotional capacity and in the capacity of adjacent addicts. Um, And I would also say that it just makes me so grateful to be sober and it just reminds it's it's a reminder of how bad it can get and how bad and how quickly it can get and how quickly it can go you can go from zero to 100 real quick um you know what looks like a single drink of champagne will be me in a trap house doing tricks for drugs and like that's again it's shameful and it's embarrassing but like that's just how far 
I'll take it because I don't like he's like you said in the beginning, it's like a gas pedal and you don't know how to take your finger off the trigger. Yeah. And I will say that he did end up writing a sequel um, that takes place during his tour. So he does briefly touch on it in the first book, but he goes more in detail about his sex and love addiction in the second book. Um, this the fact that he feels like he always needs to have a girlfriend and he always like, he can never be by himself or anything like that. Um, but he ended up relapsing on weed pills and alcohol. And I think he gets off the pills relatively quickly, but it's definitely this alcohol and weed addiction um, that he talks about in the second book, um, which I relate to a lot, a little bit more um, in the second book because I dealt with the same thing. Um, But eventually he does get clean, completely clean. um, And he does, um, you know, he, he is now sober and completely substance free since like 2011, maybe, or 2012 or something like that. Um, which is just awesome to see, um, because he's like one of my heroes, <laughs> as dorky as that sounds. It's just Not been dorky. really cool. It's just been, it's, it was really cool to see how this guy went from just being unable to survive and unable to like handle anything and now if you look at his instagram if you look at his twitter you know he's a successful writer for tv and he's married and he has two dogs and like he's rebuilt his relationship with his father and with his step family and it's just really cool to see that like you know we do recover like it's not a death sentence if you don't let it be a death sentence You know, it's really easy to just give up and give in and say, like, okay, I'm just going to let it take over me and I'm not going to get clean and I'm never going to get clean and I don't want to get clean because there's what's a there's no life for me besides drugs and alcohol. You know, I don't want to live that life. And like, here I am, I'm seven months clean and I have cravings. Every every day, honestly, I still struggle with cravings a lot. But at the same time, I have my relationship and I am working on building relationships with other sober women. Um, I've been able to read and almost completely clear my backlist from... um, Last year of all the publishers who sent me books during my relapse, I've been almost able to completely clear that out. And having finished all those books, um, I have a, my dog actually likes hanging out with me and my dog actually like, you know, trusts me again. And, um, my job trusts me again. And, you know, I'm, I can wake up in the mornings and I'm not foggy and I don't feel sick anymore. Um, things aren't perfect and they never will be. Um, but I feel like I can actually focus on building a life with, you know, my soon to be fiance. Um, and 
you know, I can focus on getting on things like getting a house together and having kids together and going back to school. Like for once, you know, I actually like I'm reapplying back to college um, here in a couple. I think like this week, actually, I'm reapplying back to college and I'm going to work on building my GPA back up again. And, you know, because there is a life out there. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard because you have to fight for it and you have to wake up every day. And sometimes it's something like you have to wake up every 20 minutes and decide, yeah, every 20 minutes, I'm not going to take a drink or every 20 minutes, I'm not going to go out and find drugs. For me, like when I first started getting sober, it really was like every 15 minutes I had to tell myself, nope, I'm not going to use I'm not going to use. And now I've made it to like every day. <laughs> so I'm seven months on. I've made it to every day I wake up and decide I'm not going to use. Maybe eventually I'll wake up to once a week. <laughs> years, years helping. It's a constant battle. But that is, I mean, what a great note to end on. Like that is so amazing. And congratulations. And that's just, yeah, I mean, that is the best thing to take away from this book is I looked at his Instagram after I finished watching the movie today because I was um, tagging him in the post of the book and it seems like such a full life that, you know, when you said uh, 2011, 2012, when he got sober, so two years before that, he may not have, you know, ever thought he would have. And it's just, it's amazing. And, you know, the thing I want to touch on also that I don't know if it got through, if it got recorded last year, is that everyone's recovery looks different. So yeah. for some people, it's going to 12-step meetings every day. Some people, it's going to smart recovery or another form of, you know, whether it's religious or non-religious, um, another form of a recovery group. For some people, it looks like in order to get off opioids, you're, you do start making medical marijuana. For other people, it's being put on Suboxone or Methadone or Naloxetron, which is what I'm on, um, mm -hmm. or any other kind of drug that, you know, will make you sick if you use um, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong yeah. with taking subs. There's nothing wrong with taking methadone. Um, as long as you're under a doctor's guidance and as long as you're taking it correctly and as long as you still have that desire to get sober, the desire to get clean comes from you. You have to decide, I want to get clean. You have to decide to fight for it. Nothing anyone else says or does is going to change that. You're the only yeah. person who can. But it's worth it. Absolutely. Well, on that note, do you want to tell people where they can follow you? Yeah, so you can follow me at Book Crazy Blogger um, on Instagram and on Facebook. So I talk a lot about my own struggles. I try to relate all the books that I read back to my own life and her uh, social media information as well as all of the resources that I had listed last week 
will again be in the show notes. And now that I, it's completely dark in my house and I look a little bit like a ghost because the only light I still have is my like big light. Uh, I'm going to just really quickly wrap up the episode itself. So you can email me through the podcast anytime at the same page pod at gmail.com. If you have any books you think we should read for the podcast, any questions, collaboration requests, or any talking points if you've already read any of our upcoming books, please send me an email. I'd love for you folks to be a part of those discussions with us. Uh, if you want to reach out to me specifically, separate from the podcast, you can find my blog that hosts all of my full reviews, tours, all that jazz at tacklingtbr.home.blog, as well as on Instagram at tackling underscore TBR. And then for the podcast itself, you can find and connect with us on Instagram at the same page podcast, on Twitter at the same page pod, and you can find us on both Facebook and YouTube just by searching for the same page podcast. And then same thing I always end with, I will say if you are listening to the episodes and like what you hear, thank you. Uh, it would mean the world if you decided to go to Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, wherever it is you're listening and uh, subscribing, leaving a positive rating, and even leaving your thoughts in a review. It takes two minutes or less, and it just really helps the show get introduced to more bookish folks. And with that, Addy, thank you so much for coming on and discussing. I know I didn't end up finishing the book, but I think it was a really interesting discussion. Um, and just thank you for sharing your stories with us. Yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for being so great about it. And thanks for not judging me <laughs> for all the mistakes that I, I have done. Oh, girl, we all have things that we regret. <laughs> and other than that... Um, Everyone else, I will be back with a new co-host next week. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.